0: 14th. Today is the 33rd day of our journey and at 3 o'clock in the morning I saw the sky cloudy with dim moonlight. From morning till 1 the sky remained cloudy. At 1:30 p.m. there was a shower of rain. The sky is still cloudy and the wind is blowing from the southeast corner and raining at intervals. The whole day passed in that way and the wind assumed a paracyclonic face the dense cloud resulting in rain until 9.30 p.m. with regular lightning, etc. At 10 o'clock when I was talking with the cap in the captain's room, the chief engineer, Mr. Travers, told me that he had never such experience of calm, quietness of the Atlantic Ocean. There was always a typhoon, cyclone, fog, etc., at least for days, in every trip in the past. I said, It is Lord Krishna's grace if such things as unusual in Atlantic would have taken if such things as usual in Atlantic would have taken place, I would die. Today thirty fourth day of our journey. As usual I rise at three AM and when I went to the veranda I saw the sky almost clear. There was moonshine on head, and although the wind from the southeast was strong, the ocean was clear, visioned, and the ship was passing smoothly. About eleven AM the sky again became overcast with cloud, and it is continued till 3 p.m. There was rainfalls at intervals, but after 4 o'clock the sky became clear, and there was bright sunshine. I was engaged in reading Kaliya Damana Lila from Srimad Bhagavatam, especially the prayers of Shrimati Nagaputnis and the last appealing prayer of Kaliya. Thursday the 16th. Today is the 35th day of our journey, and yesterday night about 10.30 p.m. we have turned one wheel towards the northeastern corner from the Bermuda latitude towards Boston Port. In the morning, the atmosphere was fairly cleared, and the ship was plying very smoothly. <coughs> first officer told me that they have never had such experience of the Atlantic Ocean, and he has he ascribed the good luck to me. I said, yes, it is all Lord Krishna's grace, because due to my severe type of seasickness, he has himself taken charge of the ship. (coughs) In expansion, the Lord is rowing the oars. We shall certainly reach America port safely. The whole day was clear, sunshine, but at 4 p.m. the sky all of a sudden became foggy. The sun became dim, covered by foggy weather. The horizon is still visible. Let us see what is still ahead. The ship is stopped completely at 6 p.m. on account of dense fog. Be Lord Krishna pleased to get out this fog. By the grace of Lord Krishna, the fog was cleared after two to three hours, and the ship started. The whole night was non-disturbing, and today on the 36th day of our journey, we reached safely at Boston Port at 5.30 a.m. We are now in the dockyard of Boston, and at 10 a.m., The Custom Officers and others came on the ship. They have now issued the admittance permission after due checking, etc. I saw the Boston town with Captain. It was very nice and I shall describe it in a separate note. 36th day from starting from Calcutta port to today. We are expected to reach Boston port in the morning, 965. We stayed the whole day and night in Boston until 4 p.m. the next day. And there's another poem that he doesn't mention in his diary, but in other places he mentioned. Upon arriving in the Boston Harbor, he wrote, I'll read this, and this will conclude our reading. This is called Markine Bhagwat Dharma, written by Srila Prabhupada at Boston Harbor on September 18th. 1965. This is the day he arrived in the harbor, yes. Boro Kripa koile Krishna proti ki logiyani Leheta ebe My dear Lord Krishna, you are so kind upon this useless soul, but I do not know why you have brought me here. Now you can do whatever you like with me. Tobo E anumane Anuben But I guess you have some business here, otherwise why would you bring me to this terrible place? Rajas Era Sobai Achana se Prashana Most of the population here is covered by the material modes of ignorance and passion. Absorbed in material life they think themselves very happy and satisfied and therefore they have no taste for the transcendental message of Vasudev. I do not know how they will be able to understand it. kripa i tumi se kotuki But I know your causeless mercy can make everything possible because you are the most expert mystic. Ki bujale tar rasa How will they understand the mellows of devotional service? He says, how will they understand rasa, O Lord? I'm simply praying for your mercy so that I will be able to convince them about your message. All living entities have become under the control of the illusory energy by your will, and therefore, if you like, by your will, They can also be released from the clutches of illusion. I wish that you may deliver them. Therefore, if you so desire their deliverance, then only will they be able to understand your message. The words of Sumat Bhagavatam are your incarnation. And if a sober person repeatedly receives it with submissive oral reception, then he will be able to understand your message. It is said in Srimad bhagavatam srin vatam śrīn-vatāṁ sakatā-kṣṇā puṇya-śrābhuna-kīrtana nityam bhagavata sevaya bhagavati yutama bhaktir bhavati Naistiki." tādāra jasthamo bhāva kāmalo vadayas ca jaya ceta etaranāvitaṁ evam prasana manaso bhagavad bhakti yogata Bhagavat bhagavad-tatva-vijñānam mukta-saṅga-sirjāyate vidyate vidayagrantis ciddhante sarva-saṅśaya siyante ca shakārmane drishtae vātmanishpare Śrī Kṛṣṇa, the Personality of God, who is the paramatma in everyone's heart, and the benefactor of the truthful devotee, cleanses the desire for material enjoyment from the heart of that devotee, who has developed urge to hear his messages, which are in themselves virtuous when properly heard and chanted. By regular attendance to the Bhagavatam class, and by rendering service to the pure devotee, all that is troublesome to the heart is almost completely destroyed in loving service, under the personality of God, who is praised with transcendental songs, is established as an irrevocable fact. As soon as irrevocable loving service is established in the heart, the effects of nature's modes of passion and ignorance, such as lust and desire and hankering, disappear from the heart. Then the devotee is established in goodness and becomes completely happy. Thus, established in the mode of unalloyed goodness, the man whose mind has been enlivened by contact with devotional service to the Lord gains positive scientific knowledge of the personality of Godhead. Thus, the knot in the heart is pierced, and all misgivings are cut to pieces. The chain of fruit of actions is terminated when one sees the self as master. Continues now with the Bengali in his poem, Guchi He will become liberated from the influence of the modes of ignorance and passion, and thus all inauspicious things accumulated in the core of the heart will disappear. Chudra Ami How will I make them understand this message of Krishna? I am very unfortunate, unqualified, and most fallen. Therefore, I am seeking your benediction so that I can convince them, for I am powerless to do so on my own. Atacha enecho, necho volibare. Tietomar icho prabu koto ebare. Somehow or other, O Lord, you have brought me back here to speak about you. Now, my Lord, it is up to you to make me a success or failure as you like. Akil jagat guru, bocchanat se amar. Alam kita kodibar, Tomar thomar. O spiritual master of the worlds, all the worlds, I can simply repeat your message, so if you like, you can make my power of speaking suitable for their understanding. Tabokri hole mor koto shudah hobe, shuniya sabar shoka duka je Guchibe. Only by Your causeless mercy will my words become pure. I am sure that when this transcendental message penetrates their hearts, they will certainly feel engladdened and thus become liberated from all unhappy conditions of life. Ani jadi prabhu amare Nachao prabhu semate, putali jata semate, O Lord, I am just like a puppet in Your hands. So if you have brought me here to dance, then make me dance. Make me dance, O Lord. Make me dance as you like. bhakti nai bhed nainam namikub dharo vedanta nam ebe sartak koro. I have no devotion, nor do I have any knowledge, but I have strong faith in the holy name of Krishna. I have been designated as bhakti Vedanta, and now if you like, you can fulfill the real purport of Bhaktivedanta signed the most unfortunate insignificant beggar AC Bhaktivedanta Swami on board the ship Jaladuta Commonwealth Pier, Boston, Massachusetts, USA, dated eighteenth of september nineteen sixty five. Shila Prabhu Padai Srinamzan Gitan Gija. So I think this is a very nice publication gives us a glimpse into his, his humble, prayerful attitude of complete dependence upon Krishna. This is the mula, this is the Surup of Saranagati. Gopurtve Tata, depending on Krishna. The other limbs of Saranagati are marginal characteristics of that. So try to put this in place in your own life. Depend only and exclusively on Krishna for everything. As Prabhupada did, you can see that Krishna validated the fact, that I'm there. In <laughs> such a big way, he came and fulfilled his desire to, by giving him energy to do the kind of Sankirtan that he envisioned Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur and Bhaktivinoda Thakur wanted. Again, Srila Prabhupada yeah. ki jai, Srila yeah. Prabhupada yeah. avya bhavamutsu titi ki jai, yeah. Sivyasa puja titi ki jai, yeah. Vodpremandi. Yeah. Any questions? It's interesting that he was writing that diary in English. Uh huh. Like he thought somebody was going to be reading it later from the rest who would benefit. Yeah, he had a desire to speak in, in what was the universal language, for the most part, to make Mapu's message universally available. Yeah, everything in English. Hmm? I said, I think. Actually, like uh, his English levels above most people's comprehensive level in this day. <laughs> <laughs> most English-speaking people. <laughs> yeah, most English. Or shall we say, American. Mm-hmm. Everything that he um, wrote about came true. Yeah. He was living in the vision. Even while struggling in Calcutta and, and in, in, in Vrindavan and Delhi, scraping together enough money to get a train to Delhi, to print his back to Godhead magazine on credit. Who were the, uh, the folks he was staying with when he first landed in the States and how did he make that connection? I think um, perhaps the man of the family, they were living in Butler, Pennsylvania, I forget their name, but I think the man was a son of an acquaintance of Prabhupada's. So he made an arrangement for that man it was his a Western his family though, not an Indian family, right? Yeah, it was one Indian man. Indian man and Western <laughs> wife, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the father of that man was an acquaintance of Probably arranged for his son to write a letter oh. of sponsorship, I believe, for which he could get his visa. Passport, he got easily that's related in here. I didn't read the first part of the book, which is notes in the diary before he gets on the ship. But he got the passport easy, but the visa was difficult to get. That's why he got the visa through the sponsorship letter. And of course he came to Boston Harbor and and then New York Harbor. He landed at Boston Harbor and then he went down to New York. I think it took a day. So 18th September, 1965 in Boston, and 19th. He arrived in New York Harbor and got off the boat and just started preaching. And then he, he figured, well, he'd go and check out his sponsor. So he went there and he was in Butler, Pennsylvania. Stayed there for some time, cooked for himself and for the other members of the family. And I can't I remember pictures of a stove with this three-tiered pot. Mm-hmm. Right. A triple pot. Right. But uh, it wasn't happening there. They, you could see he's not going to spend his come here to just live with some gurhasta family who was nice but not very interested in what he's doing. But he went instead to live on the streets of New York if he had to. Completely dependent upon Krishna. You can imagine in the winter going to New York. This is real, um, as I say, real dependence upon Krishna. remember daba people go, beg door to door, but Prabhupada's begging is much more extreme, begging for Krishna Kripa. So then when he came to New York, what happened? How did he come to New York? Well, he got off the boat in New York, and, and I guess he made his way, if I remember Waynes went to Butler, Pennsylvania, As I said and it just wasn't happening there, so he just took a bus back to New York. And, hm The Bowery. He was living in the Bowery, which is not a not friendly place. It's like the Tenderloin in San Francisco. You know, that area, it's mm. like the worst area. There's winter. He probably never experienced winter with snow, and New York winters are cold. Yeah. And um, somehow or other, he found a place to stay, and he kind of bounced around a bit. Lived with a couple of hippies, and one of them went mad, attacked him with a knife in the middle of the night, ran out. At that point, his kind of connections had run out. So he made a couple of connections. He was staying in different places, and he ended up with this one kind of hippie boy. And the guy was on LSD or something like that, and chased after probably with a, I think, with a, you know, one of them, like like a butcher knife or something. The prophet went, went out, and then, then then he was just living on the street, on doorsteps. And uh, I can't remember the details of all the history, but eventually, he got uh, a rental of a room at uh, 26 Second Avenue with the storefront down below, and that was his first real like setup. Put a sign out, Bhagavad Gita classes, Bhagavad Gita Swami. And then he went to Thompson Square Park and sat chanting with the pair of cartels. What faith in Harinam! It's incredible. All this came from that. So his deep faith, his deep, deep Guru Nishta, and reliance upon Krishna Nam. All success. It's an incredible story. Absolutely incredible story. A real example of a modern day saint. They say, you know, that. There aren't any saints in the present, because there really ain't, weren't any in the past. But over time, people just exaggerate about what people have done, and then they become thought of as saints or supernatural people and so forth. They say that about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, too. Miracles and all these are just exaggerations and so on. But you get to the story of Prabhupada is, is miraculous. I mean, we are living in the time of it, practically. There's no necessity for any exaggeration whatsoever. that's an incredible story of the power of harinam and faith in that, and it just it's, it continues. It's still going on. The legacy is still going on. You can see why some of these god brothers of mine are so adamant about proper being the greatest, and so, uh, unfortunately, they do it in a way that's often becomes um, counterproductive. There's no need to denigrate others. Others are other great persons also, of course. But his story is, is re- remarkable, certainly amongst anybody in any lineage, for that matter, from the time that Bhaktisiddhanta were on, he, he's got the most incredible story. And then what happened? Well, I guess some people came and were, some hippies were attracted by his chanting in the park, huh? started coming to his Bhagavad Gita class. It was kind of a hip thing to do, hang out with the Swami. There's a real Swami in town. You know, they were. Bo- it was. They were the, you know, the bo- bohemians, artists, and it was just. just well, 1965 it was just kind of the beginning of the whole counterculture. So it's interesting because he was attracting very thoughtful, intelligent people, artists and thinkers, poets and and so forth. Shudamaru said he was asked once why Prabhupada was successful in going to the West and some of his other godbrothers were not. And he said that perhaps because they only wanted to talk to the high-class educated people, but Swami Marsh was prepared to talk to anyone. And he was, of course. But, interestingly enough, some educated people were the ones who were on the street. I mean, the, the original kind of people behind the counterculture were were thinkers they were dropouts for a reason not for no reason still they were dropouts <laughs> drop, what did they? Do? drop in drop out turn or? on tune in, drop out. Turn in, tune in yeah. and probably played into it to some extent you know that idea this is the highest high you know I never come down Yeah, I guess stay high forever I yeah. think they even made it in an article like that or something early back to godhead stay high forever Maharaj, do you have any specific stories that were well, you involved with Prabhupada in a conversation or something? Else? Well, there are a few. I had a few <coughs> conversations with Prabhupada. Not too many, but a few. It appeared to me that I was a bit humorous to him. Kind of a, I don't know how else to put it, but he was very, very kind to me. I amused him <coughs> by my things I came up with, you know, to say to people and, and he would hear about that, and he would speak about it other places and Jabari saying this and selling books and things I would come up with. I was kind of clever, and he appreciated it I mean sometimes he kind of laughed it, and he kind of like chuckled when he would see me, and I would think, "I guess I'm <laughs> amusing him in some way." And he would kind of chuckled, but he was always very very um extremely affectionate to me and kind to me I mean he always encouraged me and welcomed me in his fold, personal fold whenever I would force my way in to his room or to go on a walk with him or so forth. In fact, even other people would try to keep me from going when I would come and he would give attention to me. Not not only I would give to go, but he would give attention to me. He always used to ask me what people were saying when I would go on a walk with him. What, What people are saying when I'm out preaching to people? What are the arguments and so forth? I would give some arguments and then he would give a response that was was typical. I think he could see that I was really, truly a Guru Kripa kind of case. That's why probably I amused him. But as I say, he was always very very encouraging. One time, Goparindapal wanted to go and talk with Prabhupada. We were in Vrindavan and talked to him about organizing and what people would say on Sankirtan and book distribution and screening people and... And so on and so forth, and so I said, well, I'm not that interested in having that kind of conversation with Prabhupada. And I thought it was a little artificial. But anyway, that next day I heard that Prabhupada was cooking for himself in Vrindavan, so I thought, I want to go and see Prabhupada cook for himself. So I got cleaned up and shaved my head and everything, and I went down to see Prabhupada, and he was sitting taking like a massage. And I said, Prabhupada, I heard that you were going to cook today, so I came to watch. To see how I really he cooks. And Prabhupada said, No. He said, They're cooking nicely. I was a young sannyasi at the time. So then Prabhupada said, I can cook with wood. And he began to speak about how a sannyasi should be completely self sufficient. He would to live in the forest and just with some wood, you know, start a fire, cook, and he's, you know, like that. So he was talking like that and encouraging me. And then Gopravrinapal came in. So I guess he had. Heard that I somebody saw me, and so he thought I was going to talk to Prabhupada about those things. Maybe he thought I was going to talk to him ahead of him or something. I, I had no interest or attention. So anyway, he came in, and uh, Prabhupada greeted him, and then uh, he brought up his proposal. the you know, people are going on at and sometimes they say things that's kind of embarrassing and they may misrepresent, and so somehow we should harness this whole thing and you know give things that people can say and what they can't say and so forth. And Prabhupada said, it is artificial. Mm-hmm. And then he said, just like our Tripari Maharaj, he's going and selling the books. And Krishna, from within his heart, is giving him so many things to say. Tesham satatayuktanam. That was the first Bhagavad Gita verse I learned, too. I mean, I learned it before that this occasion. But it means Krishna says, I give the knowledge by which people are going to come to me. From the heart. He said, just like your Maharaj Krishna is giving him so many things to say from within his heart, this is preaching, he said, spontaneous, natural. Every preacher has his own unique presentation coming from within his heart. So we're going to manage the thing to death and take the life of individual individual inspiration out of it. And Gopal Prabhupada replied to him, he said, but Prabhupada, you told Tamal Krishna Maharaj that he could give quotas to people when they went out and sold books or things, and how much they needed to collect. And Prabhupada said, I have not done. That is his concoction only. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was an eye-opener. So Prabhupada was very much like that, wanting to encourage um, individuality. Let the devotees express themselves. They figured they're sincere. Krishna's in their heart. Follow the lead of Krishna. It's going to come through them. And that's in many ways how he spread his movement. Mm-hmm. Prabhupada said a number of nice things to me. I had a famous conversation with him in Atlanta once, where all the a bunch of the leading book distributors came with me. Prabhupada was very, very happy there. He had toured uh, Central America, and everywhere he went, there were Gornitai deities, to deities in each temple. We came to Miami, there were to deities. When he came to Atlanta, there were to deities. So he was very, very emotional. There in Atlanta, and hundreds of devotees came there to see him. He stayed four or five days. I arrived, and prop spoke with me and asked, Where are you coming from? And I said, Philadelphia. He said, Oh, Pittsburgh. I said, No, Philadelphia. Prop said, Oh, Pittsburgh, Where you come from. I said, oh, Maybe, I don't know. I'm here. And um, it was there I, I asked him once on a walk. I, I asked him about getting sick. The devotees were getting sick. Some of the devotees are going on Sankirtan in our party. And the reason was because they weren't. We were neglecting our health. I mean, we were just like going out for like nine hours a day, and you know, just eating very little, and and so on and so forth, and uh, sleeping very very little. And so naturally, we were sometimes susceptible to viruses and so forth. But the devotees thought that maybe they are going out on Sankirtan and because they're mingling with people closely. In the context of selling a book, they're getting some karma from them, shaking their hand and mm-hmm. and so forth. So I asked Prabhu about it. He, he quickly turned to me and said, You can never become contaminated by Sankirtan. Isn't that possible? He said, What is that verse? And I was able to think of it. Oh. Very nice. You like that. This is medicine. Sankirtan and Harinam is medicine. So how can you get sick taking medicine? It's not possible. So he spoke about it. And then we met with him afterwards for some time. He was very happy to talk to all the devotees. And I was the spokesperson for all the leading book distributors there, asking questions. And Prabhupada would say, what does he want? What does he say? And then I would repeat the question. I asked him once. I said, Prabhupada, I am thinking, I tell the other devotees, that if only we were pure, we could distribute a book of yours to, every, to anyone. And then he said, that is pure devotion. Mahāprabhu said like this, I have no devotion. Na prema In me there is not a scent of devotion. So this is the natural feeling. Uh, he said, that is pure devotion, to think like that. And I said, Prabhupāda, sometimes I tell the devotees that if we just preach and sell your books that we'll become self-realized. He said, you are already self-realized. <laughs> <laughs> Go on in this way. He's very kind to me. Very generous. <laughs> there were a number of other occasions too. And I, I had a nice correspondence with Prabhupada In 1974, I began to correspond with him directly myself. I had been in Los Angeles. I was in Santa Cruz, and then for three, for three months, I joined a group of devotees that were trying to establish a center there, doing traveling in Kirtan, and then Prabhupada came to Los Angeles. So. They took me there and Prophet kindly initiated me. And so I stayed in Los Angeles at his request, the devotees' request, they wanted me to stay there for different reasons. And um, so I got first initiation there. Prophet stayed there for three months. And he came back in the winter of the same year, seventy two, and stayed for three months. And then in the spring of seventy three he came back for three months and he gave me mantra diksha then, second initiation. And in the winter of seventy-three, again stayed for three months. So in those two years, uh, less than two years, I had six months of Prabhupada's association, hearing class from him. You no, know, more like twelve months. Uh, three months and uh, three, three months. Three months. Three months. I found it was twelve. Twelve? Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. So I was very attached, to Prabhupada. I mean, I would be. When he went out of the door, first, you know, he'd come out of the door for go for the morning walk. I'd be there at the door. And when he came back, I'd be there at the car. you know. And then uh, then he would go into his room. And then he would ru- I would run around and be at the other door when he came into the temple. And I had my place, place right next to his Vyasa-san, where I had I kind of like, you know, like cows mark out their territory, you know, and the, the, the pecking order. So I made my place right next to Prabhupada's Vyasa-san. And it um, was very, very difficult to think of not being in Prabhupada's company. When it first happened, after three months, and he and the news came he was going to leave. I couldn't, I just couldn't imagine life without being in his company. But then he went for three months and came back and again did that. Sometimes Prabhupada asked me to lead the kirtan there. It was kindness. I was a Subrahmachari. First I was married, mm-hmm. and then I was, I guess, a vana My wife was not involved, and uh, still I was, there were big sannyasis always there, you know, and GBCs. Twice Prabhupada, they were always jockeying for who would lead the kirtan after the Bhagavatam class. Twice Prabhupada stopped them and asked me to chant, he was very kind to me, let this boy chant. And it was there I first got to go on a walk with Prabhupada. I wrote about that in the Gita preface, the first morning walk I went on with him. And then uh, in 74, I guess it was the end of 73, in the spring of 73, I got my second initiation And in the winter of 73. Prophet wasn't there, but by that time I had, they had started to send me out to different places. They sent me to Chicago, they sent me to London, they sent me to New York to preach to the devotees about book distribution, to preach about Sankirtan. And I, then they, they sent me to Australia, in December of 73. So I went there and I stayed for one month in Australia, and Prabhupada invited me to come to India for the first festival, Mayapur festival, the building, there was one building built. So I went with Madhavisa Swami and some devotees from Australia, we landed in Madras, there, stayed at one, must have been a Sri Vaishnav, householder's house, very extraordinary experience, they had a deity there. Everything was offered to the D. It was like an incredible householder house that somehow Bonavisa had contact with. He took care of us very nicely, and we were quite a, a spectacle, as you can imagine. And then we took a train to, um, to, I think we took a plane, actually. The plane went from Madras then to Calcutta. In those days, you get off the plane, you'd just be mobbed with people, all of them going, what is the time, what is the time? 'Cause they wanted to see your watch. Nobody had watches. Hmm? <laughs> watch was like a rare, you know, commodity. And they would look at the watch and, and so forth. And then we took the train to uh to Mayapur and and while I was in Australia, the GBC of of Los Angeles left the mission. So I hadn't thought about it too much, but it was disconcerting. But I hadn't thought of myself really as being like the property of Los Angeles or under a particular GBC. Just, just, I just was not used to, not in a bad way or an independent way, but I just wasn't, I was just preaching. And so when I was in my poor, I got this idea for like book distribution, Just came to me, that if I could go to a place that would be, you know, very much facilitate, I could have other men would come from other temples and spend a month with me, I could send them back to their temples and then they could inspire the devotees there and so forth. I came up with this whole idea. And while I was thinking about it, Prabhupada called for me to see me. Tamal Krishna was the GBC. He called me, and he tried to get me to stay in India. I guess I realized at that time people were were like these GBC guys. They wanted to get men or women in their their team and that kind of a thing. So he preached me to stay in India. I said, well, you know, I'm I'm preaching, selling Prabhupada's books. I don't think there's going to be much of that in India. That's what I do. I preach to Tamal. And he lightened up, which is something that boy wouldn't do very often. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a sannyasi and senior to me, and I was a preacher. I preached, and I said, look, that's what I'm doing. I'm preaching, selling Prabhupada's books. And he thought about it, and he said, yeah, okay, you're off limits. You know, rear with Prabhupada. So then Prabhupada called for me, and, and he was pleased to see me, and he told me that um, you spend your whole year going, traveling, and selling books, preaching, and then come for one month and spend one month with me. In Mayapur and Vrindavan. So, I mean, that was, you know, hardly a difficult order to, yes. you know, to follow. So, at that time, I kind of like was under Prabhupada. Mm-hmm. Prabhupada became, I had direct relation, order from Prabhupada what to do. So nobody could like touch me, in a sense. And so, I, I, meanwhile, I was getting this idea. So my f- friend from Los Angeles, Ramaswar, came. He arrived. And I was there ahead of the festival. We were living in a straw hut. I was living with Guru Kripa, Maharaj, and Shodananda Maharaj, in a little straw hut. And, um, anyway, Ramasar shared my idea with him, and he was he was like a marketer. Mm-hmm. So he would take my inspiration, and we gotta market this, you know. <laughs> so, you know, he went much uh, enthused by the idea, and then Guru Kripa and Shodananda, they tried to get me also, in front of their party, to collect money for Prabhupada in Japan. Actually, they, they wanted to come to America. They had been in America. It's an interesting story. They had been in America. They came there. And they were collecting money and stealing brahmacharis from temples. And then they would go to a town and they would just like... We had this system of we would ask people permission to sell books in front of their store. And get permission and you'd have to shift around so that, you know, you wouldn't be there too much. So they just came in and kind of blew the, every place out without any concern for any of that raised money and gave it to Prabhupada. So it was disturbing to me and other people involved in book distribution in America. So anyway, when I got there early to Mayapur, they were there, and so I stayed with them. They tried to get me too on their party. But uh, I was very <laughs> expert in resisting the Maharajas, you know, <laughs> with different things I would say and, and so on. And then uh, some of the devotees came from Japan Gopal Swami was his name. He was in Japan and another one, I forget his name. And so they started staying with with us too, waiting for the festival to commence. They talked about Japan and how they would do dresses like monks in the street. They would go down like this and give incense and people would give money. So I thought about it and I thought about it and I I I came up with this idea how to get Guru Kripa Maharaj and he showed it on and off my back and out of America. Krishna gave me inspiration and Mahapur Mahapur gave me inspiration. I said, you know, Maharaj, you might want to do Go to Japan. Think about it. You just go like this, and people give you money. It's part of the culture, you know. Uh, and they took my inspiration. They started talking to Gopal Swami. other people buy like, oh, you, yeah. so, and the, so it was a wide open field. So they took my inspiration. They said, "Okay, we're going to Japan," and you know. And they said, "All right," and we can't get, we can't take you. That's okay, but these guys were really heavy. We want you to tell us. The festival's coming now. So many devotees are going to come. We want you to point out to us the best book distributors. And we're going to get all of them on our party. Wow. For Mayapur, for Prabhupada. We're going to collect money for to build Mayapur. I know they probably wants this, you know. And I'm thinking, yeah, you he want he wants book distribution too. I thought, well, here I am now. I just got out of one, you know, fix. Now I'm in another one, you know. <laughs> to do with these guys? Uh, so... I hemmed and hawed and I kind of like, they wanted names, names, you know, from which temples and so forth. I did okay. I didn't give them the main names. They got a few brahmacharis out of the whole thing and went to Japan and they collected lots and lots of money for Prabhupada in Japan. And they blew out Japan eventually, too. They they got thrown out of Japan. I think we got Krishna consciousness practically thrown out of Japan eventually. So... I guess I take some responsibility for that, but <laughs> but uh, not much. <laughs> and so, anyway, from that time I was kind of under Prabhupada, so I began to correspond with Prabhupada, and so forth. And Then Prabhupada wrote that famous letter. You're the incarnation of book distribution. In those days, when a letter would come, then it would be publicly read. So, like you'd ask the devotee, he'd say, "Yeah, Prabhupada sent a letter. Read it. Whatever Prabhupada says, you know." So I was somewhere. In, I think in, in in Atlanta or something like that at that time. There was a famous letter, and it came and Satcharup received it in New York. It was sent to New York, and so he called me up and said, "You know, Prabhupada's written you a letter. That's what it says. I want to read it to all the devotees." So that's what we used to do in those days. That was a famous letter. But that was a heavy thing. Prabhupada says, you, "You are the incarnation of book distribution. Take the necessary mm-hmm. steps. Do the needful." Something like that. So he was further like, you know, saying, "You're under me." So I was kind of hands-off. Still the GBC called me in and grilled me. I said, which GBC are you working? I said, I don't know. Karanda was my GBC, but he blooped. And then they all turned red, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they went to Prabhupada and said, you know, they said, and they used to do that. They have a meeting and then they would come up with the resolutions and they'd read them to Prabhupada. And then Prabhupada would say, yay, nay, edit this one, change that one. So then they said, uh, next resolution uh, is, is uh, Trip Aridas, And Prabhupada said, and what has he done? The eyes, <laughs> you know how they would become big like that? Three devotees, three GBC men, came and told me this afterwards. That's mm-hmm. how I know. They came and told me. He said, what has he done? And then they all kind of like, whoa. We we're off, off limits here, practically. Then somebody volunteered. Well, Prabhupada, you know, he doesn't have a GBC. And Prabhupada said, he does not need a GBC. He is distributing my books. The implication being... GBC people are supposed to manage in such a way that this kind of spontaneity and natural devotion manifests. Now you want to, you know, manage it and and uh, put a lid on it? No. So in this way I became kind of like directing under Prabhupada. And then in a couple of weeks from that, Prabhupada gave me sannyas in 1975. And that was part of my motivation for taking sannyas. These guys were such a trip, some of hmm. them, you know. So to get close to Prabhupada was like, you know, they would put up all these barriers. I'd go anyway. You know, I'd go on the walk anyway. I'd go into his room anyway. But this way I thought, I am go in, nobody can say anything then. Heck with him. In 1977, I went to see Prabhupada, just when he became sick, started to become sick, the final sickness in Mayapur. So it was announced that he wasn't going to go to the festival in Vrindavan for Mayapur. So I went to see him. I, was, I wanted to tell him, Prabhupada, you're not going to the festival in Mayapur. Or in Vrindavan so I'm going to stay here with you. 'Cause you are the festival. There's you know, you, you there's no meaning to being in Vrindavan without you. So when I went there, Brahmananda was acting as the secretary at the time. So Prabhupada was out on his veranda and Brahmananda was sitting on a chair and there was a door to the veranda. So I came in the room and he said, Where are you going? This is the door, you know, he put his foot over the door and Brahmananda's a big guy, you know. So, where are you going? I said, I'm going to see Prabhupada. I was already a sannyasi too. This is how you know, how heavy they could be. I said, "I'm going to see Prabhupada." He said, "You can't go see Prabhupada. He's sick. You'll just touch his feet and give him more of your karma. That's all." <laughs> I said, "Prabhupada already destroyed my karma. I don't know about you." And I just jumped over his foot, went to see Prabhupada. Prabhupada was very happy to see me, talk to me, he said very nice things to me at that time. He actually, he said to me, "So your name is Tripurari. So Tripurari is a name for, for Shiva, empowered by Krishna, to defeat the demons." so you should defeat the demons by your preaching. And so I said, uh, and then I told him that I didn't want to go to the festival in Vrindavan. He said, no, you're a preacher, you should go preach to the devotees. He said, just like Bhagavad Gita, Krishna has spoken 5,000 years ago. If we read Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is there. So if you go and preach, I will be there. I never feel the absence of my Guru Maharaj, even for a moment, he said. And then some other devotees began to filter in like once he you know, broke the blot the, the dam you know some other people came so some gbc's and some came and ramaswar arrived at that time and, and so he brought this little brochure which was the first printing little brochure of the bbt and its accomplishments and so forth and it had listed there this many books printed in english this many in spanish this many in french And the bottom line was 64 million books had been printed to date so he showed it to Prabhupada, he was fond of make, giving reports to Prabhupada about the book distribution and so forth. So he said, Prabhupada, to date, the number is 64 million, practically all of these books have been distributed already, and we're printing more. So Prabhupada was very pleased, of course, and then he, you know, we, we chatted, and then he dismissed us. There was some talk about brainwashing, because that was happening at that time, Adi Kesha, Then he dismissed us all, and then he called me back. And he said, You see this? He pointed at 64 million. He said, This is all your credit. I <laughs> you know, Prabhupada This is your kindness. So, he was always very kind to me. So, all right, time for Archic now. Srila right. Prabhupada <laughs> ki jai. Srila Prabhupada vyasaputra ki jai. Srila Prabhupada vyasaputra ki jai. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>